Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My famous guest with me today <laughs> is my sister Fuller. I'm so famous. She is, you know. Yeah. You should have seen her the other night at uh, karaoke. Definitely famous. Oh, in my own head. <laughs> <laughs> and today we're discussing Chapter 52 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. In Chapter 52, Lizzie gets a letter from Mr. Gardner and confronts Wiccan. Mrs. Gardner. Mrs. Gardner. So, yes, Mrs. Gardner. Sorry. I don't know if she confronts Wiccan. She does in a roundabout way, in the most, and the only way that she can really be confronting about anything, because they always talk around everything. They can't talk directly at something. Yeah. It would have driven me mental. I think I would have hated it. Not being able to confront people? Well, just not being able to talk about things. Uh, in the same way as we do now. It's all politeness. The letter from Mrs. Gardner is obviously enlightening to Lizzie. And if it's the first time you're reading the book, it's like this big moment. You're like, oh, Darcy did do it for her. Well, that's not confirmed, but yeah. Well, we assume so. That's what Mrs. Gardner certainly thinks. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Gardner both think that. We learn more about... How dastardly Wickham is. You love that word. I do love that word. Yes, he still wanted to marry someone else to make money. Despite the fact that he had deflowered Lydia. Though Lydia cared for none of her friends, she wanted no help of Darcy's. She would not hear of leaving Wickham. She was sure they would be married sometime or other, and it did not much signify when. Mm. So she's a teenage girl who's drinking and having sex. And, and having a great time, yeah, I bet. Exactly. Why would she want to leave? Because she doesn't have sense to understand what it means. No. I like how they put that in there. It sounds, it does sound exactly like what Lydia would have said. So it's like it was conveyed to Mr. Gardner and then to Mrs. Gardner, and now she's conveying it to Lizzie. Exactly how Lydia would have said it. So Mr. Darcy finds Lydia and Mr. Wickham um, and then goes to talk to Mr. Gardner then finds out that Mr. Bennet is there. And Mrs. Gardner says, he did not judge your father to be a person whom he could so properly consult as your uncle, which is hilarious because Mr. Gardner is in trade and Mr. Bennet is much more Mr. Darcy's equal. But he's met Mr. Bennet, and I think he understands that Mr. Bennet is... I was going to say not a man of sense. He is sort of sensible, but... He's not a man of business. No, he's not a man of much use, really. That's what he. That's what comes across in the book. I mean, what does he do in the book that's useful? Nothing. He still runs his estate, but he doesn't do it like very well, necessarily, from what we can tell. And if Mister Gardner, you know, in trade, is doing well, which he must be for where he lives, then I guess it does make more sense to speak with him. But also, I guess Darcy could have thought that Mr. Bennett was also more like his wife as well and didn't want to have to deal with that kind of social ineptitude. <laughs> and Mrs. Garner says, they battled it together for a long time, which was more than either gentleman or lady concerned in it deserved. Ooh. I think that is, yeah, that's bad. Snap. Oh. And then she she was talking later about how she got so angry with Lydia because Lydia went to stay with them before the 
wedding. And she lectures her and she said if she heard me it was by good luck for I'm sure she did not listen. Which, you know, you can believe of Lydia's character. But Mrs. Gardner is so lovely because she does say that she did try because she kept thinking of Jane and Elizabeth um, and was doing it for them, which I thought was really lovely. She really feels affection for her nieces. Well, the older nieces at least. Yes, exactly. And so she must have had absolutely no patience for Lydia, yet, despite that, she still tried to impose upon Lydia a sense of decorum or a sense of the magnitude of what had happened. Mm. But Lydia didn't hear. And we know this because she turns up at Longbourn and she still does not understand it. She doesn't grow up at all through this. It's not fair that she doesn't ever seem to mature. I don't think it's fair. What do you mean by fear? I think that somebody else would have written differently what happened, that Lydia would have grown up at least a little bit. Hmm. Because she's still... Lydia was Lydia still. Yeah, and when, you know, she leaves later on, she's still excited about the prospect of going off with her husband. Whereas I guess Austin could have put something in there about her suddenly realising what that actually meant. Mm. Whereas she still seems to be on this giddy ride. But I don't know, teenage girls, it does ring true. That for some of them, it's a a long hard road for those around them um, until they start to understand what's going on and you know the latest brain research does show that your brain doesn't mature until your late teens early 20s um, and even later for males so it probably it's is true far too young to get married yeah far too young far too young but if you look back at past times I mean that's what people did and in some countries they still do and when you think about it, when you're a teenager, you had so much energy. So having babies then does make sense. And also, if your brain's offline, if it's not working properly, um, you're much more likely to go back and have sex again and make another baby because the, uh, the whole thought of the implications of it, the birth, the extra mouth to feed, um, is less likely to affect you. So therefore that um, maintains the population. Stupid fertility. Not that I'm saying teenage girls go out and get pregnant. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying that, you know, it sort of makes sense on a on one level. Not that I know crap. I'm just an English teacher. <laughs> so when I was reading this with the Jane Austen Society, we were thinking about and working out how much money this wedding actually cost. So it's about £2,000 plus the commission. So £1,000 for his debts. 1,000 settled on Lydia, and then the commission, which someone looked up, it was approximately about £700 at the time. So it's about only, it only cost Mr. Darcy £2,700-ish. Only. 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 Yeah. Well, Lizzie says that he'd be a fool to take Lydia for less than 10000 Didn't someone work out what that meant in today's money? Yeah, it's still a hell of a lot of money. Mr. Um, Bennett makes £2,000 a year. So that's 2000 that's his yearly income plus. Yeah. Right there. So actually it's not that much money. 
Really? It's a whole year's income. But for marrying someone, you know, that he's got, he's attached to her forever now. Yeah, to marry someone, it's quite cheap. Yeah. When you consider the Bennett girls have only got a thousand pounds each, which isn't considered much. Oh, well, he should have kept it in his pants. Yes. And I guess he just misunderstood how quickly someone would find him. And, you know, he saw the Bennets. He probably had the measure of Mr. Bennett and knew he'd be useless at finding him. So I thought that he could get away with it. But no. He didn't know about the whole Elizabeth Darcy thing. No. I always think it's quite convenient that he told naughty stories about Darcy before um, it became apparent that Darcy liked Elizabeth because he told the exact right person to try and screw over Darcy's life. Yeah, true. Unless it's that he and Darcy actually like similar things in women so that he actually potentially liked Lizzie. I thought that he kind of did. As a person, not as a conquest. Mm. Because it, it just comes across to me that he has very low self-control, hence all his gambling debts and drinking and womanising and stuff. But also he was brought up with Darcy, so there is another level to him. Um, and so those two parts of him are warring as such. Like we talk about with our family, you know, there's the two sides, the two lots of genes inside of us and how they war against each other. And you can see it in the, how it all comes out differently in our siblings. Okay. We've had these conversations. Okay, okay, we've had these conversations. I don't know, so you're saying it's a nature-nurture thing sort of a thicken? Because his upbringing as a Darcy, or with Darcy, compared to who he is. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. Because his mother was extravagant and spent all his father's money. Uh, so that could be something that he learned at an early age, or something he inherited from her. Absolutely. It sounds to me like Mr. Darcy Sr. spoilt him a little. Uh, yeah, it definitely sounds that way. And I think that always has an effect on a child and uh, what they expect from the world and how they expect life to go as well, I guess. They certainly had high expectations. Yeah. <laughs> he was even going to give sermons, though. He would have loved it. Oh, God, he would have been terrible. How to get away with... Oh, hold on, that's not a sermon. No. Mr Wickham walks, basically walks in on Lizzie while she's just finished reading her letter and she's still sort of reeling from the contents. Um, and then he walks her back to the house. She walks fast to get rid of him, which yeah. is hilarious. That's gorgeous. And he kisses her hand with affectionate gallantry, though he hardly knew how to look. I love how they do this in the 95 Pride and Prejudice, where he kisses her hand and then she basically just drops her hand and walks away. Oh, I don't remember that part. But it's so gross, isn't it, that whole kissing of hands thing when it's someone that... That you don't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because by that stage, if I was Elizabeth, I would have just been so angry with him. She's thinking more of Darcy, and it actually says that she was proud of him. How heartily did she grieve over every ungracious sensation she'd ever encouraged, every saucy speech she'd ever directed towards him. For herself, she was humbled, but she was proud of him. 
so lovely. I can imagine them having a nice marriage later on. Lizzie and Darcy. Mm. Yeah. I think they've both worked on themselves to get to a good position where they could have a good marriage together. Mm. They've both grown up quite a bit during the course of the story. Mm. Yeah, and they change, but Lydia doesn't. But then she's not the central focus. She does add to the story, but she is still a minor character. True. And it makes you think, this bit is the bit where Lizzie's thinking, this is going to push us apart forever because he's never going to want to be brother-in-law with Wiccan. But it's actually the thing that brings them together because he's worked hard to save her sister and save her family's reputation. And he's done it for her. Mm. And she loves him for that. Isn't that beautiful? It is. It's a very sweet story. However, I've heard recently quite a few uh, condemnations of this storyline, right? Because it okay, it's been used again and again, again by, again and again. Hmm, interesting. Again yeah. and again, you know that um, the man and woman hate each other. Uh, the man does something to save the woman, so suddenly the woman loves the man. You know, it's kind of like a Mills and Boons, right? It's mm-hmm. the basic plot. Uh, I've seen a few articles recently talking about how this is actually detrimental to women, that um, there's something that tells us that if a man treats us badly, it's okay because he might, he might turn out to be okay and save us from something and, and then we can love him no matter how bad he's been at the start. Interesting, eh? Mm. Yeah, it's like when they tell you and your kids, if a, if a boy's pulling your hair, it means he likes you. Yeah. We shouldn't teach women this. That's right. Or if a boy kisses you and wakes you up from a spell that you were dead, then you have to marry him. Yeah, that's also not good. What about consent? Exactly. Where is the consent? You cannot consent with someone that's asleep. Cup of tea. Cup of tea. Indeed. Yeah. Once again, use of letters, which mm. is good. It's a great way to tell a story. Well, because originally, well, family history goes that first impressions, the first uh, draft of this book was written all in letters. Ah. Yeah. It's, it's a very clever way to move story along. And it's so much better that we hear it from Mrs. Gardner after it's happened than actually knowing it as it happens. Mm. So that we're with Elizabeth, who is our protagonist, um, as she learns it. It adds to the, the tension. I like that that we actually get to hear her thoughts about the letter as well, whereas that letter we were talking about of Mr. Collins, that the letter was just dropped in there and then there's no anything about what people <laughs> were feeling about it. Whereas this, we get Lizzie really thinking about it afterwards. Yeah. Mind you, I guess Mr. Collins' letter was... Uh, speaks for itself. Yeah. Quite loudly. As he does. Yeah. That is our summary of Chapter 52 of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Um, my name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of 
the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!